Hi besties, I am so excited to tell you about our very special upcoming masterclass, Multiply Your Wealth. In Multiply Your Wealth, we're going to illuminate your path to real estate investing and how to activate generational wealth. The masterclass is Monday, May 16th at 12 p.m. You know that to grow generational wealth, the kind that you desire, you need a real estate portfolio. You need to create passive income where you don't have to be trading hours for dollars and where you get to make the rules and create the lifestyle you most desire. It might be hard because you don't exactly know where to start, but what if you could have complete clarity about what kind of investing is the best fit for you, your comfort level with risk, your budget, and the amount of time you have to spend working on investing, even if it's little to none. You work very hard to be successful in your business or career, yet what is the energy of that money that you've earned so far? Is it just sitting, gathering dust in your bank account? We are here to multiply your wealth. Your money is high vibe. Your money is meant to be working for you. We are celebrating the money that we've earned so far, and within we are going to put it to work because as we preach in this show, money loves you. You already know how to attract money to you. You're good at what you do. And unless you were blessed to be raised with a fantastic financial education, you may not know much about how to make your money work for you yet, but that's okay because we're here to fix it. We're here to fix it right now. It is time for women to have the financial education that is our divine right. So let's learn together the details of building lasting wealth for ourselves and our loved ones. And then let's teach our children. How would it feel to know that your money is growing and multiplying and working for you? Just for example, you could set up a portfolio of rentals managed by top-notch property management so you don't have to do anything. You could buy the vacation property of your dreams and set it up as a short-term rental that pays you. And you can hire someone to manage it and just sit back and collect the checks. Or you could passively invest hands-off with other like-minded high-vibe women who together as a group buy the whole damn apartment building and double your initial investment in three to five years. Inside Multiply Your Wealth, I will review the five main paths to investing in real estate with my five wealthy women investor archetypes, which we learn all about in Investy Besties. For each path, we're going to learn how much time it takes to execute, how much money do you need to get started, what will you need to learn to be successful, and there's a bonus. We're going to be doing a subconscious wealth activation. The number one thing standing in the way of you not creating the wealth you desire is not knowing the steps to take. But all the steps in the world don't mean anything if your subconscious is not aligned and on board. And nine times out of ten, it's not. Because we all grew up in a world where we were taught very different things about money. That we have to hustle hard, work long hours, and multiple jobs to get ahead. That we have to clock in hours at our nine to five. That we would save and save and save and save and save and hope and pray that we have enough money to retire. But this reality is changing in today's world. And in order to really step into the new reality, we've got to upgrade our subconscious mind. Our subconscious fears and beliefs guide our conscious choices and actions. To make lasting change, we get to rewire the subconscious messages that hold us back from success. So let's imprint a new vision of abundance, a new, fantastic, wealthy woman that you are meant to be, whose wealth works for her just as hard as she works for her wealth. Join me in the masterclass. That's Monday, coming up May 16th at 12 p.m. We'll be going live on a Zoom, and we will have a replay available if you can't make that time slot. Just to make this super affordable for everybody, this masterclass is only $44. You heard me, $44, and there's a replay available. You'll be able to access that subconscious wealth activation anytime you want to get into it.
To find out more or to sign up, you can go to investibesties.com slash multiply your wealth. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-Y-B-E-S-T-I-E-S.com slash multiply your wealth. See you soon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Life We Deserve podcast. Today, we're talking with Hannah Kahn. Hannah is a leader in philanthropic operations with a deep expertise in hybrid LLC models and technology systems for scale. She's currently vice president of grants management with Arnold Ventures, where she oversees new grants management team and strategy. She is focusing on updating technology to support data-driven philanthropy and to embed learning into practice. Previously, Hannah was the first director of grants management for the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. There, her team managed more than $500 million in annual grant making. Hannah started her grants management career through positions at the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and at Adobe Foundation, where she learned the importance of structuring systems that could both outlive its original users and be a tool for strategic planning and reflection. She also consults with foundations and individual wealth holders to advise on structuring their giving. Hannah's passion for philanthropy drives her engagement with local organizations that build community. She has been a longtime board member of Outdoor Afro, which promotes African-American connections and leadership in nature, where she grew the organization's sustainability and visibility. She also recently finished up her decade-long tenure on the board of Creativity Explored, a visual art studio where she supported the work of artists with developmental disabilities through fundraising and board development. In 2019, Hannah was honored with the Outstanding Foundation Professional Award by the Association of Fundraising Professionals Golden Gate Chapter. In her acceptance speech, she emphasized the importance of empathy to work in all pockets of philanthropy. Hannah believes that how giving is structured directly contributes to the viability of outcomes and personally aims to catalyze intentional action by the philanthropy sector to leverage technology and evolve giving vehicles. If you want to connect with Hannah, you can find her on hannahrkhan.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-R-K-A-H-N.com or at HannahCon2 on Twitter. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Remy. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. So just a little backstory. Hannah and I have known each other since preschool. Literally, we were neighbors growing up, (laughs) Berkeley girls through and through. What is your memory about new school preschool? One memory. Uh... I remember learning that I could eat the rinds of the watermelon and that I enjoyed them. And I also remember chasing boys with kisses. Mm, I remember that game. <laughs> I remember that it was okay to be naked. <laughs> and that's very Berkeley. It was very, very Berkeley. It's not a lot of places. In fact, I don't think there are any places in the world now where they would tell little kids it's okay to be naked because it would just be misconstrued. But for us, <laughs> it was just hippiness. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we get the chance to catch up. And I love that you have some experience with real estate investing to share with us. So if we could get started, just tell me a little bit about when you were young, any exposure that you had to real estate, homeownership, investing that you want to share. I mean, I would say for me, it was like a pretty middle class lifestyle in that my parents had bought a home. They worked for it. You know, I, I grew up around the corner from you. But I had a sense of like home as security, home as maybe financial security, but I knew it took hard work. I was aware there were people with much bigger homes than me, but I didn't really know anything there was to know about what it meant to get a mortgage or a loan or, or any of those things. My parents didn't talk to me about those things, and they were not real estate investors other than 
the, the single family home we lived in. Sure. So what was your first kind of introduction? So fast forward to I'm in my mid twenties and I move for the first time by myself into a high rise apartment, one of the few high rise apartments here in Emeryville, California. It's 30 stories. It's huge. It's like a little city unto itself. And lots of people know people who live in this building. There's lots of famous people here. There's lots of stories about this building. But I move in and I'm, you know, I'm stretched. I'm paying for rent and it's more than I thought I could afford at the time in my mid-20s. And then fast forward and the real estate market in the Bay Area just starts going crazy. You know the story. It blows up. Right. Everything is totally out of reach, but I'm still locked in to my low market rent. So it's a decade later, I'm still living in this place. And my partner at the time approaches me and says, really ought to think about buying something not as your primary residence because you have this great rent situation, but as an income property. So that thought started going on in my head. I had a couple friends who worked in real estate and I was like, is this really something I can do? Can I just like buy a, a residence that I don't live in and I become a landlord before I even actually live in something I own myself. Nice. How cool that your partner said that to you at such a young age too, because a lot of us don't think about that in our twenties. Well, and that's the thing. He had been exposed to it. His parents had set up income properties on the property they lived on. And so he was very familiar with that model and the maintenance of that and what all it required. So he really had a vision for how this could all work. Got it. So then you decided to go for it. Were there any road bumps from that early stage? I did decide to go for it. One of the biggest road bumps was that I was working with an agent who was sort of dominated in the market in this building, but I had gotten my own real estate agent who was a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And basically the agent was sort of had a monopoly. I'll just say it like that on this building. They no longer practice here. So I feel comfortable (laughs) talking about it, but they wanted both sides of the transaction. So I essentially, in order to get my property, had to fire my friend who was a real estate agent at the time. Uh, So that was my first sucks. Yeah. What's that? That completely sucks. It did. I mean, so as an agent, I can say that that's totally unethical what they did. It's called dual agency. And it's fine when you have a listing and a buyer comes to you and they want to write the offer with you. And sometimes it actually benefits the seller a little bit because you can offer a reduced commission. So for example, here in the Bay Area, 5% is the common commission for a seller and the buyer's agent gets two and a half and the seller's agent gets two and a half. But you as the seller's agent could say, well, I'll do the whole transaction for 4% if you let me represent you, which saves the seller 1% of the purchase price and so it makes it attractive. So in the agent side of things, in the multiple listing service that we all use to market listings, we actually have to disclose if we're doing that. So there is a question, a yes or no question. And I don't know if that was in place. Was this like early 2000s or the 90s, um, late 90s? No, it was, it was 2014. 2014, yeah, it would have been there. So there is a place where they have to disclose if they're doing that. But for someone to actually make it in order for you to compete, you had to work with them is completely outside of the code of ethics and they could have been reported. So yes, leave them I nameless, have, but just saying. I've, I've subsequently learned this. You, you know more the older you get, the right. more experience you get, right? Uh-huh. So this was my first foray into this. And the other thing that came up for me was I didn't understand loans. I didn't understand different types of loans. I didn't understand loan categories. This was, I had no financial acumen when right. it came to loans. And I was put 
through Wells Fargo Home Mortgage in the wrong loan category for the type of building that I was applying for. Oh, great. So at the end of escrow, we did 30-day escrow, I learned that I was incompletely qualified for the wrong type of loan because it wasn't a, a jumbo loan for the type of multi-unit building that I was trying to buy. Sure. And there's some specific and rules about that. You can imagine the panic of a young woman who had never done this and didn't understand what was going on when Wells Fargo told me we had to start all over after 20 days. Yeah. Well, we don't want to bash Wells Fargo, but I do in my in my course, I have an entire section on loans. I was a licensed loan officer for many years myself. And so I actually recommend not going to big box banks. And the reason mm -hmm. is, number one, they have more overhead. They're paying for the building and everything that that comes with. So they have a little bit higher fees and prices in most cases. Also, the loan officers there, sometimes they're salaried and not 100% commission. So they just don't have as much initiative to make sure everything works out on time. And I'm not going to say that that's true for every office. I've had some great big bank lenders, but the experience yeah. level can vary a lot. Whereas if you work with like a loan broker who's been in the industry for 20 years, you would never probably encounter that problem. Yeah, and no, not trying to bash Wells Fargo as well. I still have a mortgage with them, so <laughs> not, not, not bashing them, but learning experience that I didn't have the financial know-how about different loan products mm -hmm. to really even understand what was happening. So lesson learned for me was to really start to ask questions. Yeah, and just as we're trying to like teach here, I know, I don't know specifically what the problem was there with that, but I do know with homeowners associations, there's a whole set of guidelines if you have an HOA in the building that you're buying. So one of the guidelines I know a lot of times they'll say they want 50% or more to be owner occupied. So you can't buy it as a rental unit. If the property already has, let's say there's a hundred units, 50 of them are already rented out. You can't come in with an investment loan. And another one, they want to see that the HOA is financially sound. So they're going to want to see all the paperwork for the HOA to see if they've got money in case the roof caves in or something crazy like that. So there's a lot of extra guidelines around those kinds of properties. So yeah, lesson learned. Did you ever not go with Wells Fargo? I mean, did you refinance out of that or, or did you end up No, I'm that? still with that original loan, but I have subsequently purchased a primary residence okay. that I am in now and went in a different direction. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go back to young Hannah. So you've got your mortgage obviously worked out. Because you got to keep the property and now it's been almost 10 years. What did you do to find a tenant in the beginning? So again, hindsight's 2020. The older you get, the more you learn. I used the services of that original broker who also offered to find me a tenant, which, you know, in the end for someone who had never done this before, it was great. I was able to utilize their services. I started to understand what the application process looked like, what the required documentation was. They helped me understand what to offer relative to the market at the time. Then after those first couple of tenants, I started to do things on my own. There's lots of products out there. I don't know if you're familiar with TurboTenant, but yep. that's the one that I happen to use mm -hmm. now. But at the time, yeah, I was learning the ropes. Yeah. How much time do you think you've had between tenants? Have you ever had any trouble finding someone to rent to? I am going to knock on wood. I have not, but I've also had to lower the rent. During the pandemic, I had a tenant move out. And of course, I was totally worried about finding someone because I thought, oh my God, you know, rents have dropped here in the Bay Area. This was in 2020. And yeah, so I did what I think smart landlords do, which is they look at the market comps and they say, okay, rents are down 15%. So I dropped down 15%. 
Have you ever had to do any renovations or had any problems with uh, repairs and stuff during the adventure of being a landlord? And one of the joys, I mean, one of the great things about a building with an HOA and particularly an HOA like mine that does maintenance is you have a lot of resources here in the building. So I tried to leverage those. I also, as a first time homeowner, bought homeowners insurance policies and was able to leverage, I think it was Fidelity or is that, is that the one? Yeah, are you talking about a warranty or insurance? A warranty, excuse me. I got a warranty. Yeah. So let me explain, let me explain the difference between that real quick. So home insurance is like your house floods, you get robbed, there's a fire, something major, usually a calamity. And the reason is the deductible on those are, are high. So it's not just the deductible that you pay though, but when you use an insurance claim, your rates will go up. So I tell people it's not just, let's say you have a $500 insurance deductible, but your rates are going to go up $100 a month for the next two years. That's $2,400 plus the $500 deductible. So that's $2,900. So if the problem that you're thinking about filing a claim is less than $2,900, don't do it. A warranty is totally different. I love warranties, especially for first-time home buyers and first-time home investors because they cover the small stuff. They cover if your fridge breaks, your water heater breaks, your sink, your dishwasher. And when you have tenants in homes, they don't take care of your place the way you would. So did you ever use your warranty? I did. I did. I remember in the early years of getting the warranty, the freezer fan went out. Okay. And I am by no means a freezer expert. So I used the warranty to find a resource to come in. And it was actually, I thought I was going to have to replace the whole fridge. And one of the great things about having these warranties is they came out for $60 an hour, repaired, got the part, repaired the fan, and we were back in business. Yes. Um, so that that's like the upside of it. You know, if you're more sophisticated, if you have a network of plumbers and electricians and things like that, which I have developed over time, sure. now I, I don't have the warranty anymore and I do source my own help for things. But at the time, it was a godsend. Yeah, I love it. One of the things I love about your story is that you rented before you bought. So something that I definitely recommend to young people, especially, but even if you've just never bought a home and you're renting in a place, we talk about rent control and I have a great rent control story myself. You know, we both grew up in Berkeley. We know it's one of the strictest rent control places. And my mom had lived in the duplex that we lived in since I think 1969. So anybody who's from the Bay area knows this is amazing. When I was 18, she moved out and I got to keep our three bedroom, one bath, upper half of a duplex in North Berkeley Gourmet Ghetto for $602 wow. a month. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I rented out my other two bedrooms for like 300 each and lived rent free. And my friends got to live for super cheap. And it was amazing until the property sold. And the, it was a duplex with a cottage in the back. And the new owner, and God, I wish I knew then what I know now. I was 18. I didn't know any of this. But the new guy, and uh, you know Melanie. I was living there with Melanie. And we were, the guy that moved into the cottage in the back was saying that he wanted to convert the duplex back into one big house so that he could owner occupy both units in order to get us to move out. And that's one of the only ways you can get someone out when you are looking at tenant occupied property. And so we weren't trying to leave, but we did not know our rights at all. So there was nobody telling me that I didn't have to move out of my rent controlled North Berkeley, beautiful home. Mind you, I grew up on that street, you know, know, around the corner from you. So I didn't want to leave. So this guy was living in the cottage behind our unit. And we had a beautiful deck in the back that looked down on the little cottage. And he used to flash us. Oh my God. So we'd be out there 
barbecuing or whatever and he would get in the window naked and just like turn slow circles it was the most disgusting thing and if it wasn't for statute of limitations i would come after his ass to this day but we moved out we were like we got to get out of here you know we're 18 year old girls we were like yeah gross so disgusting and my next apartment was like north oakland berkeley border the hood with sideshows outside the window i think i paid 1800 a month for a two-bedroom apartment and it was complete sticker shock and changed the trajectory you, of my life. Like, something so important, and this is true of my stories sure. too. Had you known that there were laws that would have protected you, had you known that you actually had rights to not be kicked out, could have fought it, totally. you, you would have, because what a gem. And so yeah. I think that's something that I think a lot about is like, how do we help young women or anyone really? What are those resources that looking back, you might've been able to go to. Exactly. And that's part of when I first became a real estate agent, what I wanted to teach my clients and now want to teach women on a grander scale through this podcast and all the work that we do is you have rights. There is a path. There are answers to everything. I mean, you talked about the lending thing. Some of the stuff I was told when I first tried to buy a house when I was in my twenties didn't work out, but I mean, it was nonsense. It was complete nonsense. Yeah. So just, uh, you know, I have a whole section of my course about just trusting your intuition and just in the vendors that you deal with, the agent, the loan officer, the people that repair your house, your insurance agent, everything. Trust your gut right off the bat. Like if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. I won't just say ex- use exclusively women, but I'm certainly biased. And when I can, I like to work with women. But yeah, it was a crazy story. And who knew back then that I would end up in real estate all these years later. Any other lessons that you've learned from being a landlord that you want to share? I've tried to establish a rapport with my tenants, right? Like I live and also am a landlord in the same place. And so I think it's been important to just, it's been comforting to tenants, right? I can't tell you the number of times I've let my locked out tenants in. I don't have to do that, but because- You're in the same building, yeah. Yeah, because I'm in the same building because we've established a rapport. Then they're also willing to tell me when things go wrong and so that the maintenance stays up. I think that has been a key to my you know, success and not having some disaster or catastrophe in the units is that I am regularly in contact with my tenants. Yeah. Do you think that you sharing your experience of investing has inspired anybody else to do something similar that you know? That's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know that I've shared it as like far and wide as obviously on a podcast. So. <laughs> well, they're good to know now. <laughs> I'm a Maybe baller. <laughs> someone who understands that. I, I do think I've had a lot of people say to me, that's so interesting that you bought something before you actually lived in something yourself. And I think the lesson in that is that I had to sacrifice, right? right. I had to stay in a less than ideal living situation for a long time to get to the goals that I want. Right. And let me ask you about the math of it all. Was it cash flow positive when you bought it? Like, were you it was. always, have you always been able to rent it for more than your mortgage payment? Yes. The answer is yes to both of those. Partly because I put enough cash down on the loan to make it work in a cash flow positive way for me. Mm-hmm. But partly because I had really smart advisors, my partner who I've been with for 18 years, who basically said, let's run the numbers, let's run the scenarios. This is someone who came from a family that did this sort of thing. Yeah. And so he was able to really walk me through the math of how to understand your cash flow positive. And that's what I think is missing. I mean, that's why I'm doing the podcast is the more that everyone can listen to and hear these stories that make it feel like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. 
the more people will be opened up to this is a path for them. And I think, especially like living in an urban area, typically we are renting in neighborhoods we cannot afford to buy. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people are going to need to look outside instead of deciding, let me save up and buy my first home, like the traditional path, right? Let me start a family, buy a house. Instead of that, what if you took that same money that you would spend to buy an expensive property where you live, go a little further out where there's still a great rental market. I mean, you bought right where you live, but other people can. It's very difficult to buy in an urban area. It's very expensive on top of your rent, but you could go a little further out and you can find something that's cash flow positive. And then there are strategies that we teach where you can leverage that property into another one. Like we don't have to get into the numbers, but I know if you bought in 2014, you've made a pretty penny in your equity from then yes. till now, you know? And yes. that that is something that you can turn around and do whatever you want with at any point. Right. Exactly. And, and now I'm in my own primary residence that I own because I was able to plan for that through this other investment. Totally. So one of the things we talked about when we were chatting was confidence and beliefs. And is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners about that? Absolutely. I mean, I think something that's touched me about the work you're doing is really trying to help women tap into this mindset that we have been conditioned to have, which is to not believe that things are possible, like good things, really good things are possible for us, that we are worthy of those things. And that, you know, I think when friends and advisors and my partner and my family were saying, no, you can do this. It was like, I really didn't believe that. I really didn't hear that. I was like, I don't have these skills as a landlord. I don't even know what that means, but I've also been a tenant. So everyone kept saying to me, but you've been a tenant. You know what makes a good landlord, right? Like you don't have to have gone to school to become a landlord. Not that I think there is a school to go to. You or have that. the skill. <laughs> You're working on that. Okay, good. I think there are these skills that I've developed because I was a manager. I managed people. So in my workplace, like I knew how to work with people. I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to manage people. And so just like thinking about the things in your life that you can borrow to gain that confidence. What are the other aspects of your life where you exert expertise that you can translate to something like real estate? Yeah, I love that. I have a, a little mini exercise I learned in my coaching certification where we just go over all of the things, like starting from early childhood, every award, every accomplishment, everything that you're proud of, your special skill set, any schools that you, and you just make this kind of gigantic list of all of the reasons why you're awesome. And, you know, I know women need that, you know, not every woman, we all know those ones that are super confident naturally, (laughs) but I think it just helps to kind of remind yourself, if I can accomplish this, then I can certainly accomplish that. And you have to keep that up. And then I think it's community. It's like surrounding yourself. Like you said, you had friends and family around you cheering you on the entire time. And that is priceless. It's really priceless. And so that's one of the reasons I've made my course kind of investivesties like a community that's a forever community. So you take the course you learn and you go out and you start investing, but you're always surrounded by these women. That way, if you don't, if you're not lucky enough to have the cheerleaders in your own house and in your own world, you still have that encouragement because we are conditioned. Really, there's so many levels to it. I write about it a lot, but there's not being good with math, not being good with numbers, not being good with investments. There's the patriarchy. That's a whole show. But there's like, there's also just like you said, that there's a condescending nature to, let's just talk lending. I have a friend who is a commercial real estate broker in Arkansas. She's a complete badass. I'm hoping she'll come on the show someday. 
And she works with big time women investors. So she's got a client who buys land and converts it to like storage facilities and RV parks and flips it and sells it and stuff. And she's done this and she's done this, I think 15, 1031 tax exchanges. She's done from Mm -hmm. one investment to the next. That's a a tax, tax strategy for buying and selling investment property. But she walks into her 16th deal and she's sitting down with this lender and granted it's Arkansas, but he goes, oh, well, you know, do you want to wait and discuss this with your husband or you want him to come in so I can meet with you to talk about that? And it's, I can see it. We're on Zoom. So we're looking at each other's faces. I can just see it on Hannah's face, how she feels about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And that, and that happened to me too, right? Everyone was like, oh, your partner's advising you. So he must be going in on this investment with you. And I was like, no, he's just coaching me on. Yeah. I'm doing this. It's solely for me. It's my investment. We keep our finances separate. And like, you know, it was condescending to have people Absolutely. think that I couldn't do this on my own. Right. And it just fed into the narrative that I already thought about myself at the time, which is there's no way I can do this. I had total imposter syndrome. Yeah. But you totally proved yourself wrong. I absolutely right, did. Depending on how you think about that. Yeah. So let me yeah. ask you, would you do it again? Do you plan to make any more real estate investments? Oh, absolutely. And I'm still thinking about it. Now I'm thinking about, it's been so much time. The interest rate that I'm locked into is so low. You know, maybe there's a possibility that I start to think about branching out, particularly because I've always bought where I live. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think about diversifying. Sure. And so I've been thinking about that. And one of the things I've been thinking about are what are the places further out in the Bay Area or even, you know, further in Northern California that I really enjoy? And is there some way that I can mix what I enjoy with a potential investment? So we have a mutual friend, Jen, Jennifer, who her dream is to buy up north Russian River area where she loves to vacation. And she's an investing bestie. She joined the course and she's thinking about buying a property up there that's got maybe one house on it and some land and like Uh renovating that house and turning it into an Airbnb property that she can then use for herself whenever she wants to vacation. And then she wants to see if she can put a few tiny houses on the property to really max out the rental income and, and turn it into a cash producing property, which I think is completely doable. So we're going to be like formulating her plan and evaluating property. And I'm sure I'll be posting videos about that. So definitely check it out. No, see, I love that. And that's the kind of thing that I think really gets women kind of inspired. And I mean, anyone, but I think women in particular, because we want to see our whole lives represented in these visions for ourselves right? Like how do we get the family? How do we get the loved ones? How do we get the friends, the, the girls weekend going, right? Like, yes. Yes. So <laughs> I think that's why we like gravitate towards this idea of like a vacation home. Totally. And you know, it's funny because my vision when I first started building Investy Besties months and months ago, it was the retreat that I'm going to host someday with all my successful investing ladies toasting champagne in some tropical location you know, that we pay for with our investment money. So we're, I'm that. holding big visions. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's not even big. You're going to do it. And that's the thing. It's about the belief. That's exactly what you talk about is the belief that you can, that you should, and that you're able to. Totally. So. Totally. Well, Hannah, so much fun to see your face again. And I love that we just kind of pop in and out and say hi to each <laughs> other after all of these years. And uh, I hope that you continue to become wealthier and happier and more abundant with everything that you do. Thank you. And thanks for everything you're doing. I love it. Cheering you on. Awesome. All right.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, dear listeners, for being with me today. If you love the show, please show support for our growth by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. You can find me on social media on most platforms by searching my name, Remy Fortier, that's F-O-R-T-I-E-R, or you can join our free Facebook group, The Life We Deserve, Inspired and Wildly Successful, where I drop free trainings and keep you posted on whatever we're working on. As always, thank you for joining in our mission to normalize women building wealth.